Hello, and welcome to the In the Booth podcast. I'm your host, Alan Etzler, and I'm joined today by News Post, State Government, Agriculture, and Environment reporter, Samantha Hogan. Samantha, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And we have two very special guests in the studio today, uh, our State Senate District 4 candidates, Senator Incumbent Michael Huff. Senator Huff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And his challenger, Democratic candidate, Jessica Douglas. Jessica, thanks for coming in. Good morning. Thank you. And so we're going to get right to the questions real quick, but I, I do have to read off the rules for this debate for our listeners. In a minute, candidates will be each given 90 seconds to make their opening statements. We're going to start with the incumbent, so Senator Huff will go first to give his opening statement. And then we will move to a series of 10 questions, which the candidates have not seen ahead of time. Each candidate will have two minutes per question to give an answer. We'll allow each candidate a 45-second rebuttal if they choose to take it after that. Please don't go over your allotted time. I do have a sign that says 10 seconds, so people at home won't be able to know, but but our, our candidates will know when they're running short on time. Uh, at the end of the 10 questions, each candidate will also be given a 90-second uh, closing statement. And with that, we'll go to opening statements for, for Senator Huff. Well, thanks again for having me, and uh, I'd like to start a little bit about myself uh, so people know. Uh, I grew up in Maryland. Right after high school, I joined, uh, volunteered to join the United States Air Force. I was a Minuteman III missile technician. I worked on nuclear missiles. I went down in the silos. I did that for four years. Nothing makes you grow up faster as an 18-year-old than when you can sign and take possession of a nuclear weapon. So uh, basically, I think from a young age, I've exhibited responsibility and leadership. When I came back to the state, was working my way through college, actually working at Sears, which unfortunately I just saw as recently as going out of business. But I was selling washers and dryers there, working my way through college. Actually, was a volunteer for the state senator at the time, Alex Mooney, who represented the city of Frederick area. Ended up going to work for him as his legislative aide. So I was selling washers and dryers, working in Annapolis as a staff person, finishing my degree. And uh, I ended up fast forwarding 2010. I ran for the Maryland House. I was, uh, and then in 2014, I ran for the Maryland Senate and was successful. Both times I've run, I've run against the incumbent members. So I guess Jessica Douglas and I have that in common and running against incumbents. So I've never had it the easy way. And I think I have a, a very good record to stand on as the incumbent. So I, I don't have to come in here and say, these are the things I'm going to do. I can say, these are the things I've done. So I represent one of the more conservative parts of the state. I've been one of the more conservative members uh, of the legislature for sure. But also I have a record of being in a Democrat majority legislature and getting a lot done from protecting our children, our community, protecting our rights, reforming government. So I have a lot of accomplishments I can talk about. So I think that is where I've been particularly effective is uh, standing for my principles, but also being very effective in getting things done. All right, we'll move to Jessica. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Jessica Douglas, and I'm running for Maryland State Senate in District 4. I am a mother of four sons, and I have been a teacher for 15 years in Maryland public schools. As a teacher, I have seen the effect quality public education has on all students across all backgrounds and circumstances. The services that our state provides to its citizens ensures bright futures for all of our children and indeed all of our citizens. To that end, I was called to run for state office because I will not abide the decline of our public schools. I have to step up because a Maryland because Maryland has an opportunity to be a leader in protecting natural resources. I need to stand up for rational and research-based answers to the opioid crisis. I must do this because I can. There are common sense solutions to the problems voters have voiced to me. Frederick and Carroll County residents can elect a representative in Annapolis who sponsors meaningful legislation that supports children, working families, small business, and a healthy environment. You can have a representative in Annapolis forging real change of which you can be proud. This is why I am running, 
to serve the people of District 4. This is why I'm asking for their vote and your vote on November 6th. All right, and we'll move to questions. Awesome. So our first question to kick it off, we're going to go to Jessica first. Um, but traffic congestion on Route 15 has drawn the ear of uh, many residents for lengthening their daily commutes. Recently, the county learned that a project to widen 15 near Frederick would not be able to be found funded until 2024 at the earliest, according to the exec uh, county executive here. Because 15 is a state-funded road and a large portion of it runs through your district, how would you hope to work in the General Assembly to ease congestion on that road? Um, over the past six months, I have talked to thousands of voters at their doors, um, and this is a concern that many of them bring up to me. Um, they don't like sitting in traffic going to work. Um, and so widening Route 15, I think, is the way to go, especially in our more congested areas. But that can't be our only solution. And as we've seen, widening roads only leads to more development, which leads to more congestion later on. So if we end up widening it, widening Route 20, sorry, Route 15 in 2024, um, you know, what is our plan for eight, 10 years down the line when again, more development is a result of that and more cars are on the road again. And so what we really need to focus on um, as a matter of transportation is actually jobs. Um, we need to give people in District 4 opportunities to work in their own communities. Um, not every municipality in District 4 needs to be, nor should it be, a bedroom community. Um, the state legislature needs to work toward um, incorporating the um, private sector and the public sector in order to um, support business growth within these small communities and these municipalities. We need to partner um, secondary education with industry and business um, to create incubators. There are so many opportunities there, um, anywhere from research to uh, developing health services, um, technology, developing educational services, um, in encouraging entrepreneurs, um, again, through a partnership with Johns Hopkins, Mount St. Mary's, Hood Colleges, Hood College. We have so many opportunities to um, build small businesses where we are so that people have to travel less for work. Um, we can also incentivize business owners to, um, to encourage teleworking so that people can work from home and spend less time on the roads and more time with their families. Okay, and to Senator Huff. Yeah, the, the gridlock we have is absolutely unacceptable in this area. 270 looks like a parking lot most mornings. And even for people that have businesses here that don't have to commute, they still have to have trucks and shipments come up here. And it's actually a disadvantage. When I talk to business owners, they say, when we're looking for a place to come, we actually don't want to come to Frederick County because we see 270 and the gridlock coming up. And the hours and the time that people spend away from their family and away from everybody is, and, uh you know, they could be spending time with their kids and at soccer games and doing different things and not stuck on the road. It's, it's completely unacceptable. And the battle that has been going on in Annapolis, and thankfully we have an ally in Larry Hogan, the battle has always been that the big uh, Montgomery County, Prince George's, and Baltimore City want to take the, take the highway user revenue, take the gas tax, fun, ta uh, gas tax funds and other things, and put them all into mass transit. The fight has been to put that money towards roads. And thankfully now we have a governor who's actually tackling I-270, knows it's a major problem, is actually looking at bids and working to fix the problem. And Governor Hogan needs an ally down there, someone who will stand with him to widen that road. I don't believe the idea that, well, if we just widen the road, it'll be more congestion. I-270 is fundamentally, and when it goes into 15, is fundamentally broken. 
it's outrageous that that thing goes down from that when it bottlenecks down from four lanes into two going into Frederick County. And even if we stop development up here in Frederick County, which we don't control, that is really development is really a county issue for your county executive county council. But Montgomery County is growing like crazy. You look at Clarksburg and the northern part of the county, that is all congestion on I-270. So we have to fix that road. And my hope is that when Governor Hogan is reelected, uh, people like myself and others will be allies with him to fix these roads. That for too long, our gas tax revenue and our money that was supposed to be going into roads has gone to other things. And just to talk about some of the things of the last four years, the positive movements, we actually have a locks box now where the money has to go in the transportation fund, which is good, but still too much of it is diverted. And finally, because there was a lot of municipalities in my district, I was proud that we passed legislation to return the highway, reser- highway user revenue back to the municipalities that was stolen by Martin O'Malley. Well, that is an excellent segue into our second question. Can I oh, rebut? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh sorry. <laughs> oh, so sorry. No problem. Um, am I starting now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the question was about Route 15, and um, Senator Huff mentioned I-270 again, um, and and how Governor Hogan is supporting widening 270, um, which definitely parts of 270 need to be widened. But our focus here is is widening Route 15, which we, as um, Senator Huff mentioned, we will need to be working with the um, county government. So the county executive and the county council needs to be a part of this solution. And um, as someone who has worked with them during this campaign season, um, I can guarantee that, you know, I am a voice that can work with the county government, with executive executive Jan Gardner and the council, um, and that's something that I'm looking forward to doing so that we can have a connection between our state government and our county government. Okay, now I think we can ask our second question, and uh, Senator Huff is going to start with you. Um, Does Maryland, and Frederick County in particular, have adequate public transit and paratransit infrastructure? If not, what could be improved, and how would you hope to address it in the state level? Or how should the state focus, um, or should the state's focus be on proving roads instead of offering public transit? Well, we've done a lot, actually, for public transit. I mean, we actually did, uh, and I did support a, a massive spending bill to upgrade and fix the metro system because the metro system was uh, designed and built back in the 70s. It, ne- it has major problems with it. Anyone who's taken the metro knows that. I did support that. That was a bipartisan bill that to realize that Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. all have to step up to fix the metro system. I did support that. But my priority and probably 90% of my constituents use their cars to get to work because I represent the more rural parts of the state. And when you live, for example, like in Brunswick, like I live, you almost all of my constituents drive into work, drive to the city of Frederick, drive down to D.C. So we have to, and they're paying money. It's your money that you're paying for your gas tax revenues. You're basically paying a car tax in this state now because of the amount of money it takes when you get your car titled and your tags and everything like that. All this money that you're paying, it's supposed to be a user revenue system that pays for your roads and keep them uh, upgraded. And that's not happening right now. That has been a continuing failure because it has been the difference between legislators like myself who are in Western Maryland where our constituents drive and other folks that, like in Montgomery County or are in Baltimore City, thankfully this governor killed that red line project, which was a mass transit system that these things, A, not only do they cost literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to build, but then afterwards they have to be subsidized to maintain. 
They have state employees that have pensions and things like that. So there have to be continued subsidies to run mass transit. So the more mass transit lines you build, it's just more the initial cost. That money needs to go into roads. You look at the road system here, you look at 70, and you look at I-270-15, like I said before. That is the priority to fix that. We have to address our road system. We are decades behind where we should have been. Great, and we'll go to um, Ms. Douglas. Uh, thank you. Uh, great question, and this is especially important as a very rural district. Um, residents in Thurmont and Emmitsburg um, have so far to go to um, access jobs, access health care. A lot of those things are not readily available in their own communities. Um, and as Senator Huff acknowledged, cars are expensive. It's really difficult to maintain um, a car and pay for gas and all the other things that it takes to um, support a family and um, maintain your livelihood. And so mass transit, I think, is something that we do need to consider, especially for our more rural residents. We need to have opportunities for them to get to their doctor's appointment, to um, get to their jobs if necessary. Um, if we, you know, as we attempt to bring jobs to these more rural areas, in the meantime, people need to be able to find work and be able to get to those jobs. And so um, definitely in rural areas, we need to at the very least, increase access to buses, um, and we can, um, you know, work toward making those electric-driven buses um, so that they use cleaner energy. Um, but really, transportation is more about jobs and healthcare. We need to make sure that people have access to those things where they live um, so that people have opportunities to work where they live and to visit a doctor where they live. And so as your state senator, I will work towards building those communities and those opportunities um, in your communities so that you don't have to rely on your own car and your own gas money and, and you know, widening these roads and um, eminent domain uh, taking over uh, your neighborhoods just so that you can get to work and get to your doctor's appointments. We need to support public transportation in our more rural areas as well. Okay, and Senator Huff, would you like a chance to rebut? No. Okay, moving on. Um, we're going to start with uh, Ms. Douglas again. Um, the local Sierra Club and some residents have supported expanding the number of daily trips the mark makes to Frederick County, but the system has also been criticized by its riders for frequently running off schedule. As a state senator, is the mark system a priority, and how would you improve it? The mark system is a priority. Um, many people already rely on it, and so we can't take that away from them. Um, so we need to improve it as it stands and um, possibly expand it. Um, we would need to do some research on that, but there are opportunities where there are already railroad lines. We need to work with the railroad companies um, to see if they would be amenable. Um, what is it that the state could do to incentivize them to also incorporate ridership um, throughout their lines and throughout their stations in District 4. Um, so yes, we need to, as I just previously mentioned, we need to um, focus on mass transit, especially and including our rural and suburban communities. Um, again, as we work towards bringing jobs and healthcare to the people of District 4, in the interim, they need to have reliable transportation. And so um, Mark is definitely something that we need to work to fix and something that 
hopefully in the future can also expand on. Okay, and Senator Huff. Yeah, we, we need to we need to continue to work on the mark system. So one of the reasons I actually originally moved to Brunswick, there were a couple of reasons, but one was that they had the mark train uh, right there, and so I was commuting to D.C. at the time, and uh, ended up taking the mark down. And and for people to take the mark, they know it's very frustrating because you have trains breaking down, the schedule is a problem, you have heat restrictions, and the other problem is that CSX will make that passenger rail basically a lower priority than their freight. So sometimes you get to call it behind freight and things like that. So one of the things I'm, I'm glad even actually to give credit to former Governor O'Malley during that administration, they actually bought a lot of new trains and put some money in the actual trains. There's still massive problems with the schedule. Uh, I've worked with CSX, had a good re- working relationship with them and trying to uh, better it. So both from working with Brunswick and making sure that there's always issues along that CSX line. But there was a piece of legislation last session that was so, it was so bad that it, it actually threatens Mark's service. And you had a basically a legislator from Montgomery County, which I found it surprising because it threatens his own constituents, mandating it was a total union bill that was going to mandate the number of conductors and people they have on all these trains. And CSX was so outraged about it that it was such an over-the-top special interest bill that they basically were threatening Mark Service because of that. That's saying, look, if they're going to do these things and put these mandates and requirements, things like that on us, we might just pull out of uh, Mark Service because CSX says we don't make money on the Mark Service. We're making it on the freight. So when things like that came up, that was uh, this last session. I got up on the floor and fought for that, or fought against that. So I'm fighting for our constituents, uh, and we need to improve the mark service. It's not acceptable. There's more accountability. I think there's some reorganization that can be done as well. There's probably too many train stops. Quite frankly, they tried a couple years ago to camp to uh, get rid of a couple of Montgomery County. Literally within a 10-mile radius, once you get to Montgomery County, there's multiple stops where they're picking up four or five people. Well, the attempts were stymied by then the senator from Montgomery County, but I think we need to look at reorganization of that schedule as well. Okay, and uh, Jessica, would you like a chance to respond? Um, sure, briefly. Um, to reiterate, you know, as a mom, I value my time at home with my children, and I know people who use Mark Transit and who get held up, and um, it's it's definitely something that we need to work on and fix um, so that people get to spend more time with their families and um, at home doing what they love with their families. Okay. Awesome. And we're going to move on um, to our education section. Um, so educators have criticized Governor Larry Hogan for what they view as underfunding public education and giving breaks to charter and private schools. Has the state's funding of education been adequate? If not, what would you propose to do to increase funding for public or private education? And Senator Huff, we're going to start with you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I find it interesting because the budgets under Governor Hogan have passed four years in a row, 47 to nothing totally bipartisan, not anyone opposing them. And of course, when you get in the election year, all of a sudden there's all these uh, issues and complaints. One of the reasons they were 47 to nothing is because we had record funding for education. We didn't just fund at what the formula required, the base level. We went above and beyond. And every Democrat senator and every Republican senator said yes to the budget uh, that Governor Hogan presented. So just so you know, the, the governor puts in the money the legislature can only remove, so we cannot add more. But every single senator signed off on those budgets, said there was a good budget, and that's why you've had record funding for education. Now, as far as uh, there are not vouchers in Maryland and all these other things, but what they're talking about is there is a boast tax credit. And all that is is if you give uh, money or if you give computers, equipment to a public or private school, you can get a tax credit. That's it. So if Microsoft or somebody like that wants to donate a sco- uh, to a Catholic school or they want to donate computers to, a, to Brunswick Elementary School, or Oakdale or wherever, 
they can get a tax break for it. That's it. And for a lot of people in failing schools in Baltimore City and some of these other places, by the way, charter schools are public schools. They're not a private school. A charter school is a public school. That is a government-run school. And charter schools do wonderful things. Here in Frederick County, there's wonderful charter schools. And when you go to places like in Baltimore City, thank, thank God they have charter schools because some of the, the public school systems there, despite all of the money that we have sent down there, and by the way, they get more state funding. If funding is the issue, they get more state funding in Baltimore City schools than anywhere else in the state, anywhere else in the state. But the best performing schools, some of them are the charter schools. And so there's a constant attack from Annapolis. The only thing that they get, uh, some of the, the Catholic schools and things like that, are textbook funding. That's it. That's the only money we send for them is textbook funding. And you can now get a tax credit for making them a donation. I think attempts to attack that and go after that, like the teachers unions others want to do, I just find that so wrong. And it's so hurtful to these kids that are trapped in areas where the public schools are failing them despite the efforts of money and things like that, that you're going to take away those options from children in inner cities. Okay. And Ms. Douglas, we're going to go to you. Um, as a teacher and a teacher-endorsed candidate, I appreciate this question. Um, no, our schools are not funded um, to the extent that they should be. Um, <clears throat> throughout my career... I've seen um, the bitter inequality between haves and have-nots. This is not a level playing field. When children come to school, they are not all coming from the same place. Um, we need to level that playing field. And as Senator Huff mentioned, we as a state send money to um, areas in need. And that's essential. We need to do that. Of course we are going to um, support children who need extra um, extra money, extra time, extra resources so that they can come to school as ready as those who have more resources at home. Um, so we need to invest in early education. We need to offer universal pre-K, um, free for families who need it. And that's not only to give these children a boost so that they can enter kindergarten with the skills that they need, but it also helps families. It takes an, a, a giant burden off of families and childcare. Um, we need to also follow the Kerwin uh, Commission recommendations for K through 12. Um, we need to ensure that um, no matter what school a child attends, whether it be Emmitsburg Elementary, Brunswick Elementary, Centerville Elementary, in Urbana, that they are receiving a quality and consistent education, um, regardless of what they come to us in the classroom with as their background, as their preparedness, we need to be able to provide and bring them to the same level playing field, um, hopefully by the time that they graduate. And we also need to focus on um, getting them ready for college and career. We need to provide multiple pathways for students and um, look toward helping students repay their student loan debt. Okay. And Senator Huff, would you like a chance to respond? Yeah, just from the Washington Post, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is funding education at record levels. With $6.3 billion, his 2017 budget proposal indeed contains the most money ever set aside for education. Budget passed 47 to nothing, most money, record money ever for education provided by this governor. Okay. Awesome. We're going to move on, um, and uh, Ms. Douglas is going to have the first shot at this, but Frederick County participates in the 287G program that allows sheriff deputies to inquire about the immigration status of anyone booked at the county's adult detention center and begin de uh, deportation proceedings. Has the state done enough to address undocumented in immigration, or are there additional steps Maryland still needs to take? Yes, 
we need to address um, undocumented, undocumented immigrants. We need to make sure that we know who is living in our communities. Um, however, I do feel that we need to approach, uh, take a, a new approach in Frederick County and make sure that people um, in those communities feel that they can approach law enforcement when they have a problem. Um, the reason that the teachers union endorsed Carl Bickle the first time they've ever endorsed a sheriff's candidate is because um, our children in our schools, when, when they see gang activity in their neighborhoods, are afraid to approach the police. They're afraid to approach um, someone who can do something about this issue because they're afraid of getting their family in trouble or getting their neighbors in trouble with the law. We need to ensure that uh, every member of our community feels comfortable um, approaching law enforcement um, with their issues. No one who is here wants to be recruited by a gang. No one who is here wants their children to be exposed to gang violence. And they want to be able to protect their family from that, and they want to be able to approach um, our law enforcement system with those problems. Um, but there is a major fear in that community, and I see it in the classroom, and I see it in our communities. Um, they need to be able to trust law enforcement if we're going to solve this problem. If we want to solve this problem of um, illegal or undocumented um, immigrants and um, any crime that may be a result of that, we need to encourage people to come to the police. We need to develop those relationships. And that's why it's so important that we um, make a change in Frederick County as our outlook toward um, undocumented immigrants. Thank you. And Senator Huff. You know, uh, I actually, I grew up down in Montgomery County, I grew up in Montgomery Village. And uh, to see what's happening there, that the sanctuary policies that they put in place, is just sad to see. I mean, you have, behind the elementary school where I went, MS-13 murdered a young, a young boy uh, and literally deca decapitated him, stabbed him all the time. Just horrific stuff is happening down in that county. When I look and see that, I'm very thankful that we have a sheriff and we have policies here in place that are common sense to make sure that illegal immigrants who come into our community and commit crime that we work with uh, ICE and Department of Homeland Security to deport those individuals. There's a lot of misunderstanding about how this program works. Uh, basically, there is no street arrest. Or there's no, they're not out looking for illegal immigrants or things like that. It's when you are arrested and you are brought into the jail and during the booking, booking process, they run your, your name and information. And it goes to the Department of Homeland Security and ICE. And if ICE sees this person and that is somebody they want, meaning that they know you came in the country illegally, and most of the time they don't know who came in the country illegally, unfortunately. But if they happen to know, the reason they probably know is because you've been previously deported. And the crime that you're basically sitting there being booked for is a serious misdemeanor, a felony, their suspected gang affiliation, or terrorism. Those are actually the list of things that ICE puts out in their form of the reasons that they will take an individual. They ask the sheriff, hold that individual. We want to come in and interview them. And if we find out this is the individual we're looking for, we are going to work to deport them. That's how it works. It's only people who have come in the country illegally who then have committed a further crime. And of that crime is a serious crime of a serious nature, or there's a reason that they are a significant threat. There are very few people. I think it's like 1,300 a year that are even deported through this program. And so I think it would be... and. By one vote in Annapolis, by one vote, we stop Maryland be becoming a sanctuary state. 
It was a vote of five to six in my committee. I was the deciding vote to kill a bill that would have made Maryland a sanctuary state for illegal immigrants and that our law enforcement would not be able to work with Department of Homeland Security to deport these dangerous individuals. Okay. And Ms. Douglas, would you like a chance to respond? Of course. Um, <clears throat> dangerous individuals who are arrested will go to jail. Uh, we don't have to worry about them being on our streets. Um, our county government should not do the federal government's job using our time, our resources, our personnel um, to do this job that the federal government is going to take on once violent criminals end up in jail. Um, the federal government will step in at that point. We don't need to take our police officers off of our streets doing jobs that they need to be doing to um, work in this um, ICE program. And so our undocumented community, again, needs to have an opportunity to feel safe in approaching law enforcement. Well, speaking of jails, um, we're going to move on to our next question, and Senator Huff is going to have the first chance to respond. Um, but gubernatorial candidate Ben Jealous has campaigned on decreasing the jail population by 30 percent. But Maryland has already made large strides on decreasing its prison population. If elected, what criminal justice reforms would you like to see Maryland implement? Yeah, not surprisingly, Ben Jealous doesn't know what he's talking about. He's probably one of the most misinformed candidates I've ever seen run for office. Uh, he was the proposals that he put place are things that we've already done. They literally went and looked at uh, I don't know where they've got their information, but it was completely wrong. Maryland is leading the nation in lowering the uh, number of people that are incarcerated, and I'm I'm glad to say I was one of the people that led that charge. Uh, I put in I was one of the co-authors of the Justice Reinvestment, which we totally redid our over the last four years. We've totally redone our criminal justice system, so we've taken nonviolent, low-level offenders, a lot of which that needed rehab and treatment and things like that and we're working to get them treatment instead of incarceration and the same time we put in place for people supervised in our communities removing more people from prison to community supervision we put in better community supervision plans to make sure that they are successful we put in plans for in prison because 90 percent of the people that go into prison are going to come out one day and so we want to make sure that when they come out that they're going to become productive citizens which is what we all want we don't want them returning to drugs or crime and things like that so that was a large part of the justice reinvestment is getting nonviolent people, trying to get them on the straight and narrow, dealing with things like addiction and, and other issues in treatment instead of incarceration. The other side of that was dealing with violent people, the people that basically, uh, I put it in two categories. There's people that we're uh, mad at, people that are drug addicts and alcoholics that have problems and run into law enforcement. And then there's people that we're scared of, people that are uh, sexual predators of children, murderers, things like that, rapists. We put in tougher penalties for those folks. So second-degree murder now has an increased penalty. Abuse of a child resulting in death now has an increased penalty. And what we did uh, this year under the crime bill, because of what's going on in Baltimore City, was tougher penalties for people that use guns in the commission of crimes and dealing drugs and other things like that. So I think we've had a very smart approach to criminal justice in Maryland, making, trying to help people with this terrible opioid crisis get treatment, and working through that, realizing we cannot incarcerate our way out, but the violent offenders, making them serve time. Okay, great, and we're gonna go to Ms. Douglas. Um, thank you, and I would also agree that we need to um, provide treatment for uh, low-level criminals and make sure that um, they get what they need in order to become productive members of society. Um, <clears throat> Senator Huff mentioned the opioid crisis and how uh, we need to focus on making sure that we um, 
allow those people to get their lives back on track. Um, and we definitely do not need to take a punitive approach to um, low-level drug offenses for people who are addicted. Um, we need to make sure that they have opportunities to rejoin their community. Um, and so uh, working with community um level treatments to get people the care that they need to make sure that there is awareness that um, the community can work together to um, attack this crisis. Um, and I, I just don't think that punitive measures are the way to um, decrease crime, to decrease drug use, to decrease um, violence. We definitely need to get violent offenders off of the street, but I think more of our programming needs to go to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <clears throat> treatment and um, um, bringing people back to a life that, that they can be a um, successful and uh, contributive member of society, even if that requires um, community supervision in the long run, um, we do need to make sure that people are given opportunities at every turn. I don't have a rebuttal as much as I just, this, this topic is a passion for me. And uh, one of the things, the reason that with the justice reinvestment is that when we decreased incarceration, the savings and the money of that are going to going back. And the act just took effect last year, really went into effect. So we're just starting to see the savings. But the savings from that are going to go back into our communities for drug treatment. So that is the whole idea about it, is that we didn't just decrease incarceration of uh, these nonviolent folks for no reason. We did it so that we could take the money and reinvest it. That's why it's called justice reinvested. Reinvest it back in our communities for drug treatment. And, I, you know, I have a lot of compassion for these individuals that have treatment or have addiction and, and issues. But lastly, there are some individuals that need tougher penalties. For And I did pass a bill with Governor Hogan that these people that are mixing fentanyl and heroin together that are killing children and killing people, they deserve tougher penalties. I'm glad I passed a bill to and do a 10-year additional penalty for them. Okay. Um, and we're going to continue to talk about opioids because despite increased awareness, death from opioid use and addiction continue to rise. If elected, what would you propose for the state to enact in order to address the opioid crisis? And we're going to start with Ms. Douglas. Um, great. Thank you for that question. Um, definitely, we need to reduce the stigma. There has been a statewide campaign um, that I encourage and I hope that we can expand. Um, you know, we need less judgment and more compassion. We need to make sure that people feel comfortable talking to their doctors and going to see um, a specialist or seek help in some way and that families have opportunities to do that. And so we need to reduce the stigma so that people are, are welcome and, and feel open talking about this. Um, but again, I think the answer is community-based models. Um, we need to invest in um, education, treatment, detox, rehabilitation. Um, we can partner with community leaders, um, with healthcare professionals, law enforcement, teachers, um, because this crisis affects everybody. Um, there is no um, socioeconomic status that is safe. There is no um, community that is safe. There is no workplace that is safe from this epidemic. And so we need to bring in all of the stakeholders. Um, and as a state senator, this will be my full-time job. Um, I will convene with these stakeholders in the off-session months. I will be a part of the community um, in all of these municipalities and hopefully bringing together um, our uh, local and county um, <clears throat> elected officials, um, and again, anyone who 
can help us solve this problem. Um, we need to um, work toward, again, reducing the stigma and making sure that there are um, opportunities for people who struggle to rebuild their lives and so that there isn't a community surrounding them um, after rehab or detox. Great. And Senator Huff. So we have done a lot on this issue. It's been actually a very bipartisan issue. We've passed a lot of bills uh, on it. Actually passed a big uh, HOPE Act which uh, recently, which was a big uh, a combination of a number of bills and ideas, some of which were bills that I had put in and were part of it. But we actually, we have now in Maryland, we have a prescription drug monitoring program. We now have, uh, we, can, we should go further in my opinion, but we do have some sort of regulation on how these pills and things, oxycodone and things like that get handed out. Uh, we've gotten more money for treatment for sure uh, that's on its way. And then the governor has done a good job too of making sure that we have more treatment beds available. And, like, and we've done more punishment for people that are uh, these big kingpin dealers and volume dealers. And like I said, the people that uh, have been killing my constituents and their kids that are mixing these fentanyl and heroin together. Uh, I do think that one of the things that we need to address going forward, which is uh, which is one of the huge problems, is that while we've done a lot to reinvest in the criminal justice system, help people with treatment, we're not looking at the mental health s side of it. And so many of these people, they get into drugs because they have a co-occurring disorder in that they have a mental issue and they're using drugs to treat that mental issue. And unfortunately, you know, starting back in the 1960s, this country made a decision to basically get rid of state hospitals and defund that and just give people uh, pharmaceuticals and drugs on the street, uh, drugs to treat their illnesses. We have to get more into and start treating mental health illnesses because there are so many problems that are caused by that. It's both the drug addiction, some of the violence and things that we saw, you know, the, the person, the deranged individual that goes into the Capitol Gazette and starts shooting up people, that person was probably undiagnosed. A lot of people are undiagnosed schizophrenics and things like that. So we need to make sure, and I think we need to, as a state, do a much better job. And this is a national <clears throat> problem. We need to do a much better job of getting people mental uh, health treatment. Awesome. And would you like a chance to respond, Ms. Douglas? Yes, please. Um, while I am not in the business of uh, diagnosing anyone with a mental disorder, um, I don't think that punitive measures are um, going to be effective in attacking the opioid crisis. I appreciate that we need to attack this crisis um, from many angles, but I don't think punitive measures are the answer. We definitely need to support people um, as they are going through this painful process. Um, we also need to make Narcan more readily available in every public building. Um, they ought to be like AEDs. Um, anytime that there um, is a crisis, there ought to be Narcan available um, in schools, in office buildings, um, in any public building. Okay, and we're going to move on to the environment. So in recent years, Maryland's Renewable Portfolio Standard, which requires utilities to sell a specific amount of electricity from renewable sources, has been debated and updated by the General Assembly. In 2016, the General Assembly increased the standard from 20% by 2022 to 25% by 2020. And in 2018, we saw bills pushing for a 50% and 100% RPS. Um, as well as changes to the types of energy that qualify as renewable. Does Maryland need to change its renewable portfolio standard again? Why or why not? And we're going to start with Senator Huff. Yes, I have a piece of legislation on this. Uh, if I'm reelected, I'll be putting in next session. Uh, I did an amendment which passed on the Senate floor. I have been working on this for years and years and years, and it drives me crazy that we take this money and we have people pay through their energy bill for green energy. And one of the biggest 
benefactors of this is trash incinerators. That the trash incinerator in Baltimore City and, and Montgomery County receive massive subsidies from taxpayers to operate, to put out something that spews mercury, phosphorus, and all kinds of other things that is a completely dirty energy, and yet taxpayers are forced to subsidize that like it's a clean energy. I think that needs to be removed. The Senate overwhelmingly finally voted to do that last year. Unfortunately, the House did not take action, so that needs to be changed. So if you're going to be funding clean energy, you should actually be funding clean energy, and you shouldn't be allowing the incinerator companies and their lobbyists to write in dirty energies to receive that. I think it's an outrage, and I think we need to fix it. I'm going to put in a bill next year. I don't always see eye-to-eye -eye with the Sierra Club and some of these other groups, but I can tell you we're, we're working hand-in-glove together on this to get it done next year. Okay, and Ms. Douglas. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that the senator mentions incineration um, in that he proposed an amendment um, to the Energy Portfolio Standard Act um, in 2017 to add incineration of poultry waste to tier one clean energy so that that would be considered um, clean energy as um, incinerating poultry waste. <clears throat> I don't think that's clean energy and I don't think, um, and luckily uh, no one else in the, or very few people in the assembly thought so as well. Um, I do think we need to expand our um, renewable energy goal, definitely. 50% by 2030 is a good goal. Um, I'm, I, I'm happy to support the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Initiative. Um, not only will it um, help our environmental outlook, which is dire and necessary, um, you know, 2030 is only 12 years away. We need to work on this now. We need to get in front of this now. We need to be a leader in clean energy now. Um, you know, we have <clears throat> between 2015 and 2016, the solar industry drew grew 20 times faster than the state's overall state economy. Um, and so by if we increase our RPS by 50% by 2030, that is a possible 20,000 job increase. And so not only is it great for the environment, but it's also really important um, as a job initiative. We can manufacture solar panels in District 4. We can bring manufacturing jobs here. Again, um, helping people live and work in the same community, um, improving their quality of life, again, not only through their environmental outlook so that um, their children and grandchildren have clean air and water, um, but also so that they can enjoy a job, a uh, quality job nearby. Um, we need to make sure that this is a priority, um, clean energy by 2030 and moving forward more and more. Okay, and Senator Huff. Yeah, I do support our farmers. That's why the Farm Bureau has endorsed me. I have more farms in my district than any, almost anybody else. And what farmers have been doing for, you know, forever almost is taking waste from animals, using it for fertilizer. And they also have been converting into methane gas and things like that. So do I support that? Absolutely. And it helps our farmers. That's good for the environment and it's good for our farmers. What I'm talking about is taking millions and millions of pounds of trash in Baltimore City and Montgomery County and burning that. And then yet the, the General Assembly thinks that that's acceptable. So I have been the leader in fighting that, that we should not be subsidizing that. And so next year, I think we'll stop that. Okay. Um, District 4 includes the most rural uh, parts of the county with hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland. But the farming industry has faced major challenges in recent decades. How, as a state senator, would you work to ease challenges in Frederick County's farms or increase the economic vitality of the county's farming operations? And, oh, sorry, and we're starting with uh, Ms. Douglas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Thank you. That's important. And yes, we are a rural district and we do need to support our farm and our agricultural community. Um, we need to um, incentivize diversifying um, on in our rural areas and on our farms, um, you know, we can be an agro-tourism area. We have, especially in the eastern part of the county where I live in Mount Airy, we have um, so many vineyards and breweries, um, and this is a great way for farms to sort of diversify and make sure that they can um, work toward maintaining their um, family farms and keeping them within the family and keeping them um, vital. Um, we also have opportunities to bring farms into local schools. We can um, work on um, bringing uh, food and, and other things that farms bring to schools, and we can develop lunch programs and meal programs at our schools to encourage, um, again, a partnership between our um, between our uh, economies so that uh Everyone benefits. Um, children benefit with healthier food, and obviously our local farms benefit by having um, um, increased demand. Um, one of my friends, Tom Bars, owns Milkhouse Brewery in Mount Airy, and um, you know he's benefited from uh, state opportunities to diversify, and we just need to increase those opportunities. Senator Huff. I'm very lucky that I have a uh, ag expert right in my house. My wife, Jo, grew up on a farm in uh, North Dakota, so she knows all about farming. And, you know, I've been very active with the farming community. That's why they support me. And uh, you know, going talk, working with them, being a champion on their behalf in Annapolis, they know that I have their backs down there. And why I say I have their backs? Because we have to. Because there are every year, and it, it drives me nuts, there's people from uh, the head of doing the farm policy uh, in, in, in uh the environment health and education that committee the chair's from baltimore city there's not a single farm in her district yet she gets up on the floor and would constantly tell us on the eastern shore and this is bipartisan because it'd be republicans democrats the eastern shore republicans democrats southern maryland western maryland standing up because we're the ones that actually represent the farmers and we get the chairwoman from baltimore city would get up and try to regulate all the farming and all the uh and all the hunting bills in the, in the state that and you'd have a bunch of legislators from the urban part of Montgomery County. So all these anti-farm bills that went in constantly regulating, telling farmers how to do their job are for people that literally have zero farms in their district. I talk to the farmers. I work with them. I make sure there are bills every year that threaten the vitality and the survival of our farms. These people are barely getting by. It is a tough way, especially dairy farming. Go talk to a dairy farmer anytime. They, that is one of the toughest ways to make a living. It barely makes any money. These people need our support to make sure that these bad pieces of legislation that go after them, no one has been regulated or targeted more in the last couple of years almost than farmers. The amount of regulations and things that we have thrown on their back, we need to support these people, and I will support them, and I'll continue to support them. And one of the things that also we need to work on that has been a priority for me and I've helped them with is the issue of deer and deer destroying their crops. So we did a lot of bills allowing more rifle hunting, more Sunday hunting, and doing things to make sure, because these deers are literally eating deer, are literally eating uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of crops in some cases. Uh, Ms. Douglas, would you like a chance to respond? Certainly. Um, I, ag <coughs> I agree that farming um, in District 4, especially dairy farming, is, is a tough way, and they're having a hard time. Um, when we talk about uh, regulations on farms, um, actually the, the EPA, with their Chesapeake Bay program, um, <coughs> incentivizes protecting um, our natural resources. And farmers are, are happy to take a part of that as long as the EPA is willing to sort of boost that attempt. Um, 
on the state level, we need to then reinvest um, in those initiatives um, as our EPA budget is getting threatened. Um, the state needs to step up and make sure that we in, uh, continue to incentivize those practices so that we are not just um, regulating um, them out of business, but they, we are actually incentivizing the protection of their water and their, and their land. Awesome. And so you guys made it. Last question. We're going to start with Senator Huff. Um, last month, the governor announced that insurance premiums decreased for 2019. At the time, he criticized Washington's inability to address health care costs. On health care, Ben Jealous has proposed moving the state to a Medicare for all system. What role do you think the state house should play in addressing the cost of prescription drugs and health care? And if elected, what would you advocate for the state to do to continue decreasing those costs? Well, there's a, there's a number of questions you asked me there. We, we did pass <laughs> legislation to help with seniors and prescription drugs uh, as far as um, filling the gap for on Medicare D for um, uh, prescription drug costs. So we did pass something on that that was very small, but it was a step in the right direction. Uh, as far as Medicare for all, I think that is it, it, literally that program is so crazy that California and Vermont, two of the most left-wing states in the whole uh, nation, looked at it and said it's unaffordable and unworkable. And the crazy part about it is, is if you've ever had a family member, anyone you know, that's actually getting health care through Medicare, you know that those systems are very much tapped. There are very few doctors that even accept those patients. So to take a system that is under stress and pressured like that, and doctors will take it because the reimbursement rate is too low. So the idea that then all of a sudden we're going to throw more people on that, that we're basically going to go further of what Obamacare did and completely eviscerate the private individual insurance market, I think that's a step in the wrong direction. I think what we've done in Maryland, which in my opinion has been on the wrong step, was uh, that we have completely and heavily regulated health insurance, so people have very few options. There's very few insurance companies even left that want to do business. There's basically two left in Maryland that want to do business in this state. And because of that, consumers have very few options, and they have to buy very expensive and heavily regulated plans. And I think that's wrong. I think what I would like to see is that consumers have more option, more choice, and much less regulated plans. I think that would be a better way because so many times when all these bills and regulations, everything are talked about in Annapolis, we get up on the floor and say, this is going to drive up the cost of health insurance, and no one seems to care. And I think that's the way to deal with it. Okay. Ms. Douglas. Um, <clears throat> as, the, uh, as the mom and the caretaker in my family, um, health care is so important. Um, s there are people who again, miss an entire day of work just to see a healthcare provider, um, and that doesn't help them afford their health insurance or their premiums. Um, Senator Huff's record um, in voting against a prescription drug price gouging law, um, voting against earned sick and safe leave, voting against um, protecting the Affa Affordable Care Act, without which Marylanders stood to pay an extra 30, 40 to 40 percent more on their health insurance premiums, um, shows that um, he doesn't have a firm grasp of what the people in Maryland need and what families need in order to get by and stay healthy. Um, as a state senator, I would um, push to require companies to notify the public and justify their drug pricing decisions if they were going to increase their drug prices drastically. Um, I would work to uh, create a prescription drug cost review commission, um, make sure that, again, we have fair and affordable prescription drug pr 
prices, um, and we also need to prevent commercial managers of prescription drug plans from restricting what pharmacists can tell consumers about low, low drug cost options, um, generic drugs. We need to make sure that all the options are available to our um, constituents. We need to ensure that citizens with pre-existing conditions do not lose their insurance. Um, they don't go bankrupt or spend their retirement savings so that they can care for themselves or their children or their spouse or their elderly parents. Um, we need to increase options and opportunities for people to reach their health care providers in the um, neighborhood and the communities where they live. Okay. Would you like a chance to respond, Senator? Yeah, I mean, the bill that she's talking about, the prescription drug bill, was totally unconstitutional. Actually, the Fourth Circuit threw that bill out and said it was it was unconstitutional what Brian Frost was trying to do. Brian Frost, our attorney general, who's one of the most partisan left-wing attorney generals, unfortunately, that Maryland has ever had, had a bill where his great idea was to go sue all the uh, uh, prescription drug companies. What's that going to do? It's going to drive up the cost. It was totally unconstitutional, and the courts threw it out. Uh, I've been on records opposing Obamacare. I think it's been terrible. I think it's increased the cost of it, and I've always been clear about that. And finally, what I think is this pie-in-the-sky idea about Ben Jealous's plan that would literally double the size of Maryland's budget. That's what we're talking about here, a $2,800 tax increase on every Marylander to pay for this, uh, this Medicaid uh, for All plan that they're talking about. And I just think that is completely insane. I think people cannot afford $2,800 or more taxes every year. Okay. And we've reached that time where it comes for closing statements. We're going to start with Ms. Douglas. Thank you again for having us. <clears throat> this was an experience. Um, again, my name is Jessica Douglas. I'm a mother, a teacher, a Christian. I live my values of service, humility, and justice in my faith, work, and family life. I will represent Frederick and Carroll counties with these same values as I seek fairness and opportunities through elevating public education, seeking community-based solutions to the opioid epidemic, and encouraging job growth in our communities. In closing, I believe elected representatives should be one of us. Today we have seen that electing corporate lobbyists and lifelong politicians will only bring us more partisanship and division. I am committed to helping others and making a difference, not helping corporate donors and securing re-election. Send a fresh perspective to Annapolis. Let me be your advocate. I am Jessica Douglas for State Senate. Please visit my webpage at douglasforsenate.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like, comment, and share on all of my social media platforms and vote for me, Jessica Douglas, on November 6th. And Senator Huff. Yeah, well, thank you. It's been, it's been one of the, a great honor to represent the citizens of Frederick and Carroll Counties. And I think I've been one of the most effective legislators uh, down in Annapolis. I was one of the first legislators, probably the first in the state, that Governor Hogan endorsed for re-election because I've been a strong partner working with him to turn this state around. Some of my achievements, I'd just like to mention, is working with Governor Hogan. We did a joint bill to increase penalties, uh, sentences for heroin dealers, uh, passed legislation to protect our children from violent criminals. I've passed multiple bills dealing with that. Uh, made the state, it was my amendment that made the state provide security for elementary, middle, and high schools, all of them in the state, after the terrible shootings we had and, and uh, across the country. Uh, defeated legislation by one vote. It's a critical difference between me and my opponent. I oppose sanctuary state policies. I think they're bad. I have an A-plus rating for the National Rifle Association. I stand up for law-abiding gun owners. And I've also reformed government. I co-authored the largest criminal justice reform in the history of the state. And just recently, I passed and wrote ethics reform for Frederick County. So you talk about closing off loopholes and things like that. I did that. 
I actually closed off loopholes for developers so they couldn't find ways to donate to people when they had pending land use applications. And I made our citizen boards in Frederick County actual citizens and not people running from office taking campaign donations. So I've been a leader in reforming our government. All right. Well, we uh, appreciate both of you guys coming on. Uh, a quick note for voters. Um, this podcast is uh, coming out just before early voting. So early voting begins October 25th. Uh, election day is November 6th. So get out there and vote. Again, Jessica, Senator Huff, thank you both for coming on. We really do appreciate the time. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you.